So for a few minutes tonight, uh, I want to talk about uh, the lion and the lamb, which comes from verses in Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. And we'll read there. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. So in these passages, there's a couple of descriptions, uh, the Lion of Judah and a lamb. Um, now, just for... Uh, the sake of the rest of the lesson, of course, we all know that this is talking about Jesus. Um, but how can Jesus be described as a lion and on the complete opposite side of the spectrum be described as a lamb? How can that represent the same person? But if you, if you look here too, John was told uh, to look or behold the lion of Judah. And then in the next verse it says, and I looked and I saw a lamb. So he was looking for a lion but he saw a lamb. I thought that was pretty interesting uh, with these verses. So we'll go through and try to understand why Jesus is referred to as the Lion of Judah and as the Lamb, being the same person. So the characteristics of a lion are power, strength, commands respect, is confident, and has no fear. Now if we want to understand this, we've got to go all the way back to Genesis 49. In Genesis 49, we'll read there starting at verse 8. Um, this is the story of, of Jacob uh, giving his blessings to his sons, which become the tribes of Israel. So uh, in this particular verses that we're going to read, it's, uh, it's Jacob blessing his son Judah. And it says there in verse 8, Judah, you are he, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse against him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. So in, in these verses here, uh, there's, there's descriptions of a, a lion and also descriptions of royalty and kingship associated with a lion. It says here, your father's children shall bow down before you and the scepter shall not depart from Judah. <clears throat> so Judah ended up being where all the kings of Israel came from the tribe of Judah uh, in the Old Testament. This was, this was uh, uh, shown in these couple of descriptions in the verses that his brothers would bow down to him. And the scepter was a symbol of authority, of, of royalty, of kingship. And also a lion is a symbol of a, of a king, a king of the beasts. So Judah would rule with the earthly kings until the Messiah, which here in this verse is uh, the word Shiloh, is referred to. And that means Messiah. Um, that's a direct easily identifiable prophecy of Jesus. And at the point that Jesus took his place as the almighty eternal king, 
Judah, which had the earthly kings, would no longer reign and no longer have uh, earthly kings. Our king became Jesus from the tribe of Judah through David's bloodline. In Numbers uh, 10, <clears throat> we'll read um, in verses 11 and through 33. I, I don't think we're going to read them all here, but in a few verses here, we'll notice how uh, some characteristics of, of a lion and leadership um, um, was present in the tribe of Judah. So in Numbers 10, all the, all the tribes of Israel, they were out Mount Sinai, and they were leaving Mount Sinai to march towards Canaan. Um, and as they left, um, they always marched, and they marched in order of the tribes. And, and we'll see here in the front of the marching order was the tribe of Judah. They led. And it says there, starting in verse 12, And the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys. Then the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. The standard of the camp of the children of Judah set out first according to their armies. Um, if we continue to read these passages, we'll find, we'll see, I'm going to show the next slide here. Is This is kind of a basic uh, description or, or a, a layout of how the tribes of Israel marched. In the back you had Dan, Asher, Naphtali, uh, in front of them was Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. In front of them was Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. And in, at the front, we have Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, and they followed right behind those who carried the Ark of the Covenant. So we see that Judah leads uh, while marching, and they're the first ones to confront battles. So I believe this is definitely by design, and there's no accident, and God had a hand in this, and and, and uh, it's just a, a lot of prophecy. So also in Numbers 13, uh, uh, Moses decided to send a leader from each tribe into the land of Canaan as spies to search out to land, uh, the land, to, to see what's there, to see what kind of uh, cities were there, to see what the people were like, to see if they were weak or strong, and, and if there was a lot of people, and to see if the cities were fortified or not fortified. Um, so as he did that, uh, this was, of course, the land that was promised to the Israelites, which was the land of Canaan. Um, so when they came back, these spies, to report to Moses, they said that the land was plentiful and it flows with milk and honey. But they also reported that the people of the land were strong and the cities were fortified and were very large. And it says in verse 28... Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. So the spies, even though the land was great and full of milk and, and like milk and honey, they were not confident at all that they were going to be able to conquer that land because of the armies that were going to be, they were going to be up against. So with them doing that, uh, they, reported, they reported to the rest of the people of Israel and and um, and they also reported to to Moses. After they reported to Moses, uh, the the leader of Judah spoke up first, and that was Caleb. Caleb said in verse thirty. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, "Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it." 
So this is Caleb, the leader of Judah, basically saying, we're going to go in there and we're going to fight and we're going to conquer it because God is with us. He's speaking up for Israel. He's speaking up. Um, the characteristic of the tribe of Judah, just being leaders. Um, and then in Numbers, we'll read uh, verses 31 through uh, 32 right here, or we'll read through verse 33. It says, But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they helped had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. The, the, the main reason they were afraid is because they were going to be facing giants. They're, back in those times in the old uh, days of, of Canaan, there was giants in those lands. And we, of course we read of uh, Goliath. He was one of the giants. But there was... a. Uh, it's apparent that there was more than just him. So the people of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Uh, they would have rather died in Egypt than die by the sword in the wilderness and fighting to gain Canaan. But Caleb spoke up again. It says in Numbers 14, 6-9, But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of Israel, all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So again, Caleb is speaking up and being a leader uh, from the tribe of Judah. It's so easy for us to see the characteristics of, of Jesus in the tribe of Judah. How he fights for us, he leads, and he advocates for us uh, uh, to God. So let's look at the characteristics of a lamb. It's a complete opposite of what a lion is. It's not powerful, weak, not respected, not confident, and it fears other animals. So Revelation 5, the representations, of course, the lion is, is uh, uh, represented as a king, which is Jesus, eternal and almighty king. From what we just went over in uh, Genesis 49, uh, well, that makes, this makes Jesus ruler of all, being as a king. And then the lamb, of course, is Jesus, typified as his perfect sacrifice. Um, we find that Jesus is not only, the one, not only the one who is the perfect sacrifice, but is the one who offered his sacrifice as well. He did this by offering himself as a sacrifice for all mankind. This makes Jesus our high priest, eternal high priest, this makes Jesus our intercessor, and this makes Jesus the only way to God. In uh, uh, John 1.29, it says, Look, the Lamb of God, God, who takes away the sin of the world. So how can Jesus be king and be high priest? 
How can he do that? How can we get a king from the tribe of Judah, but also get a high priest, which was supposed to come from the, from the Levites? Um, that's how God set it up in the Old Testament. So how can God, did God break any promises that, for Jesus? Um, that's, we need to remember that Jesus came from the tribe of Judah and priest from the, from the tribe of Levi. So we'll see how Jesus can become both. In Hebrews 7, 1 through 3, uh, uh, we'll find out about Melchizedek, who was a high priest, who did not come from the tribe of Levi. So uh, Melchizedek is a type of Christ. So as we read this, just keep that in mind. We need to understand the following, that the old law was imperfect. Humans are imperfect. Even the high priest and the Jewish laws were imperfect. And, and for that reason, the high priest needed to make sacrifices every day. Um, and being that the law and man were imperfect and are imperfect, God in his infinite wisdom provided a type of Christ with Melchizedek. It says in, we'll read verses uh, 1 through 3 of Hebrews 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains, remains a priest continually. Uh, some uh, descriptions here of Melchizedek is king of Salem, King of Righteousness and King of Peace. King of Salem is a short term or a short name for Jerusalem. So it's believed that, that Melchizedek was a, the king of Jerusalem at some point and also was the high priest at the same time. So one man being the high priest and the king at the same time was way out of what uh, the old Jewish law knew. In the second verse here, we find that Melchizedek was the king of righteousness and the king of peace. In verse three, it said, uh, "There, there's." In verse three, I had a little bit of trouble with, but I think I figured it out. There is no written record of how Melchizedek became high priest. No death of a predecessor, and no record of his death showing us, showing his successor as well. This is the same with Jesus. We not cannot trace any written record that there was a spiritual high priest and king. For us before Jesus. This simply means that Christ will reign as high priest and king continually. Well, Melchizedek was a type of Christ. Now, there's people who think Melchizedek was Christ, and that's not true at all. So we just need to remember that, that Christ is always Christ and only Christ all the time. Verses 11 through 14 says in Hebrews 7, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek, and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. Moses didn't give 
the tribe of Judah, the authorization to be priests. It was only through the tribe of Levi. Verse 14 um, reminds us that Jesus is from the line of Judah, which is the line of kings. And there's a difference between the king of Jesus and earthly kings. And that difference is Jesus is going to reign forever. In uh, Hebrews uh, 7, verses 15 through 28, explains how Jesus becomes high priest. I'm going to read in the NIV uh, just for some ease of reading. Starting in verse 15, it says, And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared... You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it, was, because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath. Levitical priests in, in the Old Testament in the Jewish law became priests just because of their line of being in the, in the tribe of Levi. They didn't have to take an oath to become a priest. Um, we'll continue reading here in verse 21. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the, the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of these, those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. For his own sin, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. He, being Jesus, sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. So that verse, verse 27, tells us that Jesus became the sacrifice and offered the sacrifice at the same time and became the high priest and the king. Verse 28, for the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed by the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Jesus was appointed by God as high priest, not because of his ancestry, but because of his power. Jesus' priesthood is forever. Jesus completed the sacrifice necessary for our salvation. Verse 27 is once for all, it was done. It needed to happen one time, and it did. In the Old Testament, you find an extremely important day of the year of the Israelites, which was the Day of Atonement. On this day, the high priest would make sacrifice for the sins of all the people of the nation of Israel. This was the only day of the year that the high priest could go into the holiest of holies. This was where the presence of God was. Now, understand, if anybody else went into the holiest of holies, they would immediately die. And if the high priest went in at any other time, he would die. Also, the high priest didn't just go in there 
uh, without making a sacrifice uh, for his own sins. Um, if the high priest messed up, uh, it went against God's will and, and, and the high priest would die. So we cannot, we cannot come into the presence of God on our own. Uh, it is not possible for us to do that because God cannot have the presence of sin with him. When we go to God in our prayer time, that is exactly what we're doing. We're going to God. But the only way we can do that is with our high priest, our intercessor, which is Jesus. He made the ultimate sacrifice for us so, so we can go to God. So Jesus says the lion uh, is strong, has strength. He's king of all. It is royalty. He's a protector of all. He's confident and he fights our battles and we cannot. And so Jesus Christ is the Lion of Judah, the eternal Son of the living God. His power and majesty fill the universe. No one can thwart his plans. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus as the Lamb. The Jesus of the Lamb is provided by God. In Genesis 22, verse 8, it says, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the Lamb for a burnt offering. So two of them went together. That's when... Uh, Abraham and Isaac were going up and Isaac, Isaac was, or Abraham was going to uh, sacrifice his own son. The lamb was perfect, 1 Peter 1.19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He did not complain. Jesus did not complain as a sacrifice. And Isaiah 53.7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus is tender and compassionate, just as we kind of we see a lamb as being. In Philippians 2 and verse 1 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. And he was our eternal sacrifice. Hebrews 10 and 10 by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. A couple more passages I want to consider. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 5, it says, Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And also in verse 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10, it says, But you are chosen, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness, darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This is the good news of the gospel. The lion is the lamb. The mighty lion who roars in judgment against sin and injustice became the sacrificial lamb who died on the cross in our place to take away our sins. Jesus Christ is also the lion and the lamb. From these passages, we can see that through Jesus Christ, we have become royalty and a part of the priesthood. This means that us as Christians are to bow down and serve the King of Kings, to serve Jesus, the Lamb of God. This also means that we, us as Christians are to lead to people to God. We are to work and serve the High Priest, which is Jesus Christ. So are we doing that? Are we serving Him 
as royalty, as our royalty, as our king. We need to not take the sacrifice of the perfect lamb lightly. So back to Revelation 5, verse 5 and 6, it says, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So what are we doing for Jesus in his royal priesthood? What are we doing for the King of Kings? What are we doing for the Lion of Judah? What are we doing for the Lamb of God? He gave all for us. Why can't we give all for him? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.